Good morning, Bridge. Would you stand with me for the presentation of the colors, please? Would you join me in the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Would you join me now in the Pledge to the Christian flag? I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands, one Savior, crucified, risen, and coming again with life and liberty for all who believe. Would you remain standing for the posting of the colors? Can we give it up for the Royal Rangers? Is anybody proud to be a Christian American? So, so can I ask you a personal question? Uh, it's, you know, I'm going to do it whether you say yes or not, but it's just nice to ask. Is, is, it, is it okay in your opinion that we did what we did at the opening of the service today? Is, it, is that okay? <coughs> now... Now, now, I kind of expected you to say yes from a personal perspective, but I mean from a biblical perspective. I, I, and one of the reasons I asked that question, it kind of opened my eyes, uh, uh, two or three years ago now, on a Veterans Day weekend, uh, we did a color guard and the pledges, and, uh, and a lady came to our service that day. She said, I, I, she said, I went to my church for the early service this morning, and the pastor got up and said, we won't be waving any flags here today. He was upset about what he called Americans worshiping at the altar of patriotism. And she said, uh, so I decided I would come to your church today because I had a feeling it'd be okay for me to be a Christian and patriotic at the same time. And I just wanted you to know that I'm not disappointed for having come today. And I didn't say, well, why don't you just leave that place and come here all the time? But, you know, she did. Uh, so the question is, can we biblically do what we did? I mean, is it okay on times like 4th of July weekend to worship God and commit to be good citizens at the same time? Is it okay? Come on. Yeah. Is it okay to honor Jesus and the sacrifice he made for us and honor those men and women who serve us and make those sacrifices for our freedoms? Can we do both of those things? And, and I think maybe the answer to the question uh, is, a, is another question. Does that make sense? And, and here's the question. Why has America remained so prosperous for our 240-some years? Why? Do, you understand that in that same time period, France has had five different forms of government? Italy's had 50. 
The Soviet Union, with all of its vast resources, collapsed within 75 years? Why is it that America is so blessed year after year, decade after decade, century after century? Is it because we're lucky? Is it because we work harder than people in the other parts of the world? Is it because we're smarter than other people in the world? I mean, what is the deal? And here's the answer. I believe it's because of the rich Christian heritage that formed our nation. I believe that's why. And let's just be honest, okay? For you watching online, you that are in the room, let's be honest. There is a vocal minority, small but loud, minority out there who say our forefathers did not come to establish a Christian nation. They came for gold, not for God. You heard that? In the few minutes we have today, I want to respectfully disagree with them. And I want to establish as clearly as I know how that you can honor your nation and worship your God without being in conflict with each other as long as you remember two principles and you make two commitments. As long as you remember two principles and make two commitments. As long as you remember two principles, hello, are you out there? And two commitments. Now, that presupposes that if you don't remember these two principles and if you don't make these two commitments, you can get on the slippery slope of being more in honor of your nation than of your God. So I want you to hear, okay, for those of you that are are new or visiting with us today, we're in a series we're calling Legacy to the HNL. We're taking uh, a look at some of those founding principles that have defined our church uh, for the last 99 years. We'll be celebrating our 100th anniversary next year. But very specifically, uh, for the last 27 years, as Pastor Farrell and Miss Millie has led this church to, uh, to do some amazing things in this community and transformation in so many of our lives. And so we're honoring that legacy, reminding ourselves of the elements of that legacy, and then making a commitment together as a church family that we're going to we're going to take that legacy to the next level. We're not going to rest in our legacy. We're not going to consume our legacy. We're going to take it to the next level for the sake of our generations. And that's the reason why we wanted our Royal Rangers doing the color guard this morning because we're going to make sure that every generation is represented as we talk about legacy together. If you want the manuscripts, you can go to info at bridgechurch.cc, give you the manuscript of all of these messages. And of course, if you want to follow along today, you can go to the Bible app, uh, events, go to Princeton Bridge, and you can get all the scriptures and all the points that I'll be making today. Uh, And you can take your own notes, save it later, and then study it, remind yourself later of all those things. If you want to put something on social media, uh, use hashtag LegacyHNL, okay? You ready to get into it? What did I say has to happen? We have to remember two principles and make two commitments. That's a simple message, and then I'll let you get off and eat some hot dogs and some potato chips, okay? Two foundation, foundational principles from our nation's heritage. Number one, God is eternal. Nations are temporary. Hello? God is eternal. Nations are temporary. Psalm 33 Verses 10 and 11, if you brought your Bible, turn there. If you got your smartphone, keep your, your digital finger there because we're going to look at Psalm 33 a lot today. Verses 10 and 11, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord do what? They stand firm forever. <clears throat> the purposes of his heart through all 
generations. And let me, just, let me just be clear about this. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to believe in the Bible to see that. Even a superficial look at history will tell you that that passage of Scripture is true. Historian Arnold Toynbee did a study, wrote a book where he studied 24 major aggressor civilizations over the centuries, and here's what he concluded. All 21 of them collapsed. Two of them from outside forces, but 19 of them collapsed from moral decay within. God is eternal. Nations are temporary. In most of those cases, from Alexander the Great to Adolf Hitler, in most of the cases, they didn't even know what was coming until it happened. That's the reality because the plans of every aggressor eventually fail, but God's plans always live. That's, I like the way the message paraphrases that. God shouts down, shoots down the world's power schemes, but God's plan for the world stands up. All his designs are made to last. So in balancing uh, honoring the nation with worshiping God, you've got to remember that while America is the most prosperous nation in history, it's also not a permanent nation. There will be a time when this nation no longer exists. And in case you're upset with me now, we were liking each other a few minutes ago, and now suddenly you're going, wait a minute, Pastor, where are you going with that one? Our founding fathers understood that principle. Look, look at what they signed their lives to. We're going to put it up on the screens. Here's what they said. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And whenever any form of government, whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute a new government. Who gave us these rights? God gave us these rights. And what should happen when a nation rejects these rights? They should be altered or abolished. Because God is eternal and nations are temporary. All the way back to 1776, our forefathers understood, they realized there is a higher allegiance than the allegiance you give to a national system. Now, back then, they were, they were talking primarily about England, who was trying to destroy our rights. But whoever it is, the principle's the same. God is eternal. Nations are temporary. So whatever you do, whatever nation you're from, maybe you're here, you're watching online, you're not an American. Whatever nation you're from, don't ever forget, don't ever lose sight of this truth. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. You knew I was going to read it today. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the lord jesus christ yeah we're just kind of passing through yeah i'm proud to be an american kim and i've lived on three continents and we can hear the stars and stripes on the other side of the world and start crying i mean you know i am proud to be an american i've never been one of those guys who just kind of pretends that i'm not because you know some parts of the world they don't like us very much i'm just proud to be an american but at the same time, I know my citizenship ultimately is not here. I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and I look for a kingdom that I believe is coming soon, that I long for sometimes. The longer I live, the more treasure I got on the other side anyway, and the more draw there is. The second principle you've got to keep in mind 
if you're going to balance this worship God and honor the nation thing, is that God honors, God honors the nation that honors him. God honors the nation that honors him. Say it with me. God honors the nation that honors him. One more time. God honors the nation that honors him. Go back to Psalm 33, verses 12 through 15. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. You see that? God's watching the hearts of men and women. And when he finds a nation that honors him, what does he do? He blesses that nation. And I believe with everything in me that if there is a reason why America is as prosperous and blessed as it is, it's because of that foundation. It's because of that heritage. I mean, I'm going to turn this into a history lesson, but uh, think back to the founding of our nation of those early days. Have you ever thought about how on earth did the little revolutionary ragtag army from 13 colonies stand up to the most powerful military on the planet at the time, the British Empire. The saying was that the sun never went down on the British Empire. They had holdings all over the world, the most powerful military on the planet at the time. How do these little 13 colonies, I mean, it would be like Puerto Rico declaring war on the 50 states today. I mean, it's like there's no way that they could win, but somehow, somehow God honored their commitment to him. And if you read the early leaders, you take the time to go look up what they said, not, not what historians are telling you now that they said. But if you go back and read what they said, you will find out that they understood God was at work in what they were doing. Can I give you a couple examples? I don't want to turn this into a history lesson, but can I give you a couple? If you need to nod off or think about brunch during this, I guess you can, but Try to stay with me if you can, okay? Early, early in the war, August 7, uh, 20, uh, 27, 1776, very early in the war, General Howe had trapped General Washington and his troops on Long Island. Get the picture if you can. His plan was to move at first light and crush this little rebellion before it ever gets started good. So they're, at, they're in New York. Howe's poised to just move in and just wipe them all out. And so... Washington realizes the only way we can avoid, avoid this disaster is if he moves his troops across the Delaware River to the other side. And so he sends out a call across New York for everybody who had a boat of any size. Some of you know this story? A boat of any size, and people brought fishing boats and you know, private boats and just every boat you could think of, and, they, and all night long they moved American troops to the other side and, but when the morning came, they're moving 8,000 troops across the Delaware River. When morning light came, there's still thousands of them on Long Island and, and open to General House attack. Here's what Major Ben Talmadge, Washington's chief of intelligence, wrote. Here's what he wrote about that day. Did we put it on the screen? Yeah. As dawn approached, those of us who remained in the trenches became very anxious for our own safety. At this time, a very dense fog began to rise out of the river. It seemed to settle in a peculiar manner over both encampments. 
I recollect this peculiar providential occurrence perfectly well. That's old American speak for God's up in our business today. <laughs> it was weird. It settled on both camps. And so very dense was the atmosphere that I could scarcely discern a man at six paces distant. Here's the bottom line. The fog was so thick the British couldn't attack, which gave Washington time to get all the rest of the men to the other side. And Britain lost their only chance to close the war out quickly. I like the way Psalm 33, 16 says that no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. It is God who ultimately determines those conclusions. And some people might say, well, in fact, people have. Well, that was just a coincidence. Just happened to be a fog that happened to settle on the two camps and happened to last long enough for Washington to get his uh, forces to the other side. It's just, just a, a natural occurrence that happened to work in our favor that time. Okay, fast forward to the end of the war. It's not the only time God intervened in the natural order of things. Go to the end of the war. Cornall uh, Cornwallis has got his forces gathered up in Yorktown, Virginia, and he, he's ready to, to, to kind of close this thing out. Modern historians will tell you that we won the war for three reasons. They will say it was because of Washington's genius and the help we got from the French, because there was division in the British Army. There was a lot of uh, rancor among the, the troops and the, and the officers as the war drug on. And number three was blind luck. They would say blind luck played a part of it. Well, you, you can say it's luck if you want to, but here's the real story. Cornwallis is at Yorktown with his troops uh, because it's a good harbor. It's easily to reinforce. He's calling for reinforcements from the north to come uh, and help him because he's learned that Washington is coming up from the south to attack him. And so he's on high ground. He's ready to fight from. And he also knew that it was the only place where the James River, which is a huge river, the only place it was narrow enough that if he needed to retreat, he could get across the James. So when he learned that Washington was coming from the south, he sent for reinforcements. He later found out reinforcements are not going to get there in time. So he decides to take the retreat. Am I doing this? Can you follow me? So he's going to go across the James to the other side to buy a little more time until his reinforcements come. And as they get into boats and start to go across the river, a huge wind comes up. About half of them got to the other side. And the wind became so fierce that the other half couldn't make it. And Cornwallis' troops were then separated on either side of the river. And Cornwallis gave up, surrendered. Now, you can call it luck if you want. That ain't what George Washington called it. Here's what he wrote in November 15th, 1781 to the Continental Congress. He said, I take a particular pleasure in acknowledging that the interposing hand of heaven, don't you love that phrase? The interposing hand of heaven in the various instances of our preparation for this operation has been most conspicuous and remarkable. God's up in our business again. Our first president knew that God honors a nation that honors him, which is what scares me these days. 
Hello? Because the truth is, we're becoming a nation that has forgotten those stories. Though I'm old enough, those stories were in the history books taught in the public schools when I was coming along. They aren't there anymore. They're systematically removing those stories and so many others from the history. They're removing the markers and the signs from our history. And anyone that forgets history is doomed to repeat it. So, so he, he, here's, my, he, here's my concern. If we, if we remove the stories from our schools and churches are deciding that it's inappropriate to talk about this subject in church, then what are the odds that our children who are going to grow up to be the congressmen and the senators and the judges and the presidents, what are the odds that they're going to remember God blesses the nation that honors him if they don't know the stories? Before you know it, they're out there saying our strength is our intelligence, our strength is our resources, our strength is because we're smarter than other people. And the Bible is clear. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Before you know it, we're removing prayer from schools. Oh, yeah, we already did that. Pastors are told to pray generic prayers in public. Oh, that's already going on. Living in Chesapeake, Virginia, I got a letter not too long ago saying, Pastor, we'd love for you to come pray at this city event. The only thing we ask is that you keep your prayer generic and, uh, and you can use the word God, but you can't use the name Jesus. And I wrote them back and I said, I respectfully am honored by your request. I'm going to have to pass because you've asked a Christian to pray and we pray in the name of Jesus. I can't come. And so they called me. The mayor called me. And he said, I, I hope you're not offended, Pastor. I said, I'm not offended. If you asked a Jewish rabbi to come, I would expect him to pray in the name of Elohim and Adonai because that's their faith. I'm not saying we ought to force everybody to think like Christians. I'm saying we ought not to be squelching the Christian faith in America because it is that Christian heritage that makes us the blessed nation that we are. I'll tell you how God honored that. Mayor Krasnoff says he can't wait to get to Goldsboro to come visit the bridge now that he's found out I'm here. He's become a good friend. He's a committed Christian, and he calls me his mentor. I'm honored by that, but he got it. He said, Jim, come on. I want you to pray, and I want you to pray the way you'd pray, and I did, and the chief information officer for the city of Norfolk came to me after and said, Pastor, that was a powerful prayer. Thank you for that. It's a shame you're never going to be invited back. But it was a really good <laughs> prayer. <laughs> That's why we got to remember, guys. We have got to remember. God is eternal. Nations are temporary. And God blesses the nation whose God is the Lord. We cannot let this go. So how do, how do we keep those two principles alive? 
Given the reality of where we are, what have we got to do to keep those two principles alive? I think there's two commitments we've got to keep. We've got to make them. We've got to keep them. We've got to keep them in front of us. You ready for them? Commitment number one is I will educate myself on the issues. I will educate myself on the issues. Say it with me. I will educate myself on the issues. So if I ask you to take out a piece of paper or a note card right now and, and tell me three issues that are before Congress right now, could you? Hear me, when we fail to stay aware of what's going on, the vocal minority who are staying aware set the course. The vocal minority wind up defining where we go. There's some profound examples from my lifetime here in America that have had a huge impact on, it's not even told all of the impact that it's had. 1963, the Supreme Court ruled that there'd be no more prayer in schools. You understand the precedent that they used for making that ruling? You know, that's what attorneys do. That's what judges do. They look for a precedent that's been set and say, because this precedent is in place, we therefore have to do this. You know the precedent they used for taking prayer out of schools? They quoted Thomas Jefferson. You've heard this. As there should be a wall of separation between the church and the state. Now, I need you to understand something in case you don't. That expression is nowhere in any official document in America. It's not in the Declaration. It's not in the Constitution. It's not in the Bill of Rights. It came from a private letter that Jefferson wrote to a friend of his, and he wasn't talking about taking God out of the state. He was talking about taking the state out of the church. He was saying that the state ought not to be telling preachers what they can preach. That's, that's what he was talking about. But somehow that got turned to where our own Supreme Court gave an opinion that's had a mammoth impact for generations since then. Without a rule of law, without a historical precedent, simply based on their own agenda and their own bias, they pulled one phrase out of context from a private letter. But here's the deal. Once it was done, it became precedent. So now, one year later, the same court rules that the Bible can't be used in public schools anymore. On what grounds? Because Jefferson said there has to be a, and we have a precedent that says we agree that Jefferson, you know, said there ought to be. Is that what Thomas Jefferson believed? That Bibles ought not to be in the public school? Well, here's what I know. When he was the, the superintendent of schools for Washington, D.C., he mandated that the Bible be a textbook in every classroom in Washington, D.C. I don't think that's what he meant when he says separation of church and state, and yet here we are. Well, 1978, fast forward, the, the Kentucky legislature, thank God for our Kentucky team that's in there making a difference in that place, because these guys are trying their best to hold on. They decided, 1978, that students need to know the source of common law, so they mandated that the Ten Commandments be posted in public schools with a statement that says, the secular application, because they got to make it sound secular, you know, because of the Supreme Court rulings, the secular application of the Ten Commandments is clearly seen in its adoption as the fundamental legal code of Western civilization and the common law of the United States of America. In other words, th this is not a religious thing. This is the basis for our laws, these Ten Commandments. Therefore, our young people ought to know it. Within two years, 
The courts ruled it unconstitutional. And here's what the ruling said. Brace yourself if you haven't heard this before. Here's what the, the ruling said. If the students see it, they might read it. And if they read it, they might revere it. And if they revere it, they might obey it. And that would be a violation of, you want to say it or you want me to? Separation of church and state. Which is nowhere in the Constitution. That's the reality, guys. If we don't stay connected to what's going on and make sure that our voices are Heard. Now, here's the great irony of the whole thing. The same Supreme Court that made those rulings made those rulings with the Ten Commandments on the wall above their heads. Obviously, haven't taken time to read or revere or obey recently. Fast forward to today. Last week, the Kentucky governor signed a law that said the Bible should be used as a textbook, a history textbook in public schools, and the ACLU's on the case. The battle goes on, guys. The battle goes on. Hear me. When you raise a generation where God is banned from the public discussion, what odds are there that those kids are going to grow up wanting him in the public discussion? Unless... The church talks about it. Keith Green said it this way in a song many years ago. He said, the world is asleep in the dark, but the church can't fight because they're asleep in the light. So I'll ask you again, any idea of the local issues that affect your family? Local level, state level, national level? Maybe it's time you educate yourself. The second commitment we've got to make if we're going to really do this thing, worship God and honor our nation, is, is I will respect our God and honor our president. I will respect our God and honor our president. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17, show respect for all people, love God's family, respect God, honor the king. Do you see the level of relationships, the different levels of relationship in that passage? Do you follow that? What levels do we have? we got all people. We, we got the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We've got God, and we've got our national leaders. We don't have kings. Thank you, Lord. We don't have kings, but we got national leaders. Do you see the attitudes we ought to give to all those levels? What, what are the attitudes? What does everyone get? Gets respect, right? Does that, does that include people that are different from us? Do we respect them? Does it pe- include people that disagree with us? It doesn't include Facebook, right? You can do any disrespectful thing you want on Facebook, right? Right, no, you can no. respect everyone. How do we relate to our? How do we relate to our fellow Christians? What does it say? Love them. Remember what it says? Look at it. Love them. Love them. How do you love them? Love is giving people what they need, not what they deserve. Love is caring for them when they don't even deserve it. That's how we treat each other. We love each other. How do you relate to God? Back to that respect thing again. The the word respect. In that passage is the Greek word uh, phobio. You know, we get the word phobia 
from that with the fear, that kind of stuff. He's, he's talking about a respect for God that recognizes his authority. One of the big mistakes, in my opinion, that the church is making these days is we've spent so much time talking about how much God is love and how much God has this wonderful purpose for our lives. We've, we've kind of made him our buddy. I need you to understand, he is God and you are not. Whatever time I get to be your leader, whether it's a month or a year or a decade, learn that. He is God, I am not. Say it with me. He is God, I am not. At the end of the day, he deserves my reverential fear because he is sovereign God of the universe who spoke and the world came into existence. Now, here's the one that's going to bite a little bit. If you need to slip out now, I understand. How do you relate to governmental leaders? You honor them. The Greek word is tumeo, which means to value them. Can can I just tell you that I cringe when I hear the horrible things that Americans say about their president? And I'm talking about Mr. Clinton and Mr. Bush and Mr. Obama and Mr. Trump. I'm talking about presidents that I disagree with their policies. and talking about, I'm talking about the office of the president of the United States. And we make a huge mistake when we dishonor them. And we teach that dishonor to our children who will grow up thinking they don't have to honor people in authority unless they agree with them. Please, I beg you, if you don't hear anything else on this point here, that I can respectfully disagree with my leader, but at the end of the day, God raises his leaders up. Now hear me, that is not partisan, that is not political, that ain't got nothing to do with being Republican or Democrat. It ain't about being right or left. It's about being right or wrong. What it has to do with is Romans 13 Verse 1, everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. We've got to stay educated and engaged in the process, but don't ever make the mistake of believing that our hope is dependent on who happens to be in the White House on a given day. God formed this nation. God made it great. Great is the nation whose God is the Lord. It will remain great as long as we remember that we forget it, we go the way of every other civilization that's come and gone over the centuries who started with high ideals and let them slip. I like the way the message paraphrases Psalm 46:10. Step out of the traffic, take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. Our call as Christians is clear. Back to Psalm 33 verse 20, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. There is no conflict. There is no conflict between that and honest patriotism. Daniel Webster said it this way, whatever makes men good Christians makes them good citizens. Solomon said it 2,500 years ago, doing what is right makes a nation great, but sin will bring disgrace to any people. So 
on this 4th of July weekend. If you want to make this nation strong, what do you do? Live with integrity. Go to work on time. Put in an honest day's work. Be faithful to your spouse. Love and discipline your children. Live within your means. Pay your honest debts. Be kind to your neighbor. Give generously to the needs that are around you. Honor God in every area of your life, and you will make this nation the greatest it's ever been. More than 100 years. Come on. Yeah, let's celebrate that. More than 100 years ago, Alexa de Tocqueville said it this. He came to study this nation. He wanted to know what it was that made this nation strong. And here's what he said. The strength of this great land is in its churches. America is great because America is good. If America ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Remember our key quote for this series? One generation's inheritance comes out of the previous generation's sacrifice. Any generation that's unwilling to sacrifice reduces the inheritance of the next. That's true on a church level. It's true on a national level. Next week, we're going to talk about the generations. We're going to talk about all the generations of this house and we're honored to be the kind of church. We have a legacy in our church where we're there. They were, some were just born this week and some are celebrating their 90th birthday next week. That, we're honored. We're blessed in this house. But please don't ever forget that the inheritance, the legacy that we have received is only enhanced if we sacrifice for it now. It's true for your family, our church, and the nation. Douglas MacArthur said it this way, no nation in history which lost its moral and cultural code was able to recover from the decline. Our founding fathers passed it to us, the spiritual torch of freedom. May we never let that light go out. Let's pray. Let's pray. I think this is a pray moment. Father, you see us. You know who we are for real. Cutting through all this, the politics and the agree and disagree about policies and health care and gun control and all that stuff that we get so wrapped around the axle over. Just coming down to this moment. If the strength of this great land is in its churches, its Christian people, if America is great because America is good, and it will cease to be great if it ceases to be good, then what contribution am I making to that personally? Am I enhancing that strength in the way I live my life, or am I diminishing it? as a citizen. I know on a place like this and a day like this there are people across this room that are at different places in their relationship with you. Some not even sure that you're there, that you care. Others that have walked with you in intimacy for years and everything in between. But wherever we are in the stillness of this moment, Lord, 
Would you speak to our hearts and show us what we need to do in order to be a part of the strength of this nation. To remember the principles that made it strong and to make the commitments that will take our national legacy to a whole nother level. Show us. My commitment to you, Lord Jesus, is I will do what you show me to do. My ear is tuned to you. Would you pray that simple prayer with me this morning? Pray it out loud, pray silently, I don't care, but don't just recite the words. Say them to God. Show me what you want me to do, Lord. My answer to you, sir, is yes. Father, you know who's praying across this room, praying online right now. You know what's going on. Across our campuses, across this great church. I pray that you'd speak to us today. As we celebrate 4th of July, as we celebrate our freedoms and our independence in this great nation, Remind us that at the end of the day, it was your sacrifice made it possible for us to live, to live free, to live with hope. Help us to lean into you. Celebrate those freedoms and sacrifice for them. In Jesus' name. It may be that some of you have never prayed a prayer like that before, or maybe in the course of listening to what the Scriptures and what the Spirit was saying today, you realized that you need to change direction, that you haven't been going in the right way. I really want to know that. I want to know you prayed that prayer. So take out your smartphone right now and just text new life, hashtag new life, to 72345. We'll put it up on the screens, just, and I'll know that you prayed that prayer, and I'll pray for you this week. The prayer team will pray for you this week. Let us know. Okay? Take it to the next level of accountability to say, I prayed for a fresh start as a Christian American today. God bless you guys.